You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute the Podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, you may have seen Taylor Swift making headlines recently for re-recording all six of her previous albums. But why would she do this, and what sort of effect could it have on the music industry? The non-secret, secret fast food chain that you've probably never heard of, but is most likely already in your city. Harry and Marv, the Wet Bandits, the antagonists of the 1990 movie Home Alone, went through a lot to try to rob the McAllister's house on Christmas. But did the physical damage take its toll? We explore their injuries and ask the very important question, how did they not die? Mom, I'm eating rubbish. (laughs) All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. You must have just watched that movie because you would not just remember that line. No, I I watched that movie (laughs) twice a year, so I definitely remember that line. That's like my third or fourth favorite Christmas movie. (laughs) It's just your third or fourth favorite Christmas movie. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of good Christmas movies. It's not my fault. So, Dave, I have heard that fans of Taylor Swift refer to themselves as Swifties. So, are you, Dave Traub, a Swiftie? Not a Swiftie, but I do have a long relationship with Taylor Swift. Um, So, Taylor Swift, I credit Taylor Swift with getting me through at least one breakup, maybe two. Well, Taylor Swift has been in the news a lot recently, and it's not necessarily for releasing new music. It's for releasing re-recorded versions of all of her previous six albums. And the songs aren't necessarily retooled or alternate versions. They're just replacement recordings sung now in 2021, always labeled with a set of parentheses afterwards that reads Taylor's version. And so the backdrop of all this is pretty unique, and it spans years of controversy and law and money and the future of song rights in general. And Taylor Swift, in the middle of it all, has sort of emerged as a pretty like nuanced case study in the means and the methods of production and the distribution of an artist's work. But will there be more Taylor Swifts in the future? Well, record labels don't necessarily want there to be. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. In 2005, Taylor Swift signed to Big Machine Records. And over the course of her 13-year contract, the Nashville singer catapulted to astronomical heights, uh, transitioning from country singer to pop icon. And in that time, Dave, she made six albums, and Big Machine Records owns the master recordings of all all of the songs contained on them. And that amounts to some big money since you basically hear Taylor Swift songs everywhere. Uh, When Taylor signed with a new label in 2018, her contract gave her more control over the monetization of her future music and the distribution of it. But the six albums that made her a household name, those will always be contractually owned by Big Machine Records. And all this is pretty par for the course. But when the story takes a turn is when Big Machine sold to a private equity group called Ithaca Holdings, which is owned by an industry powerhouse music manager named Scooter Braun, who has managed stars like Justin Bieber and Kanye West. A grown man named Scooter. I've always thought that was interesting. 
I mean, I get it. He's rich and powerful, but his name, he goes by Scooter. Yeah, I didn't get like super deep on the research. It definitely gave me pause when I saw that his name was Scooter. I don't know if it's like a nickname, Scooter. Well, you keep going. <laughs> I'll look up his real name while you're going. <laughs> so regardless. I already found it. Scott Braun. Okay, so he goes by Scooter. Yeah, really Scooter, strange yeah. move. But he turned around and he sold those masters to Shamrock Holdings for $300 million in 2019. So every time you stream or hear one of those tracks in a commercial, money is generated for who owns the track. And so business-wise, again, this isn't necessarily a problem and it's not really unique, but on a personal level, Taylor claims that Braun bullied her and harassed her and publicly took issue with the fact that this man owned all of her life's work and was actively making money anytime someone in any way consumed any of her art and no one had asked her permission. And hence, in 2021, now, Taylor Swift has begun releasing re-recordings of her songs in a sense to replace the tracks that Braun owns. Now, This choice, while I think it's admirable, it's pretty messy from a business standpoint, and it's sort of forcing our culture in a way to take a longer look at the music industry and the makeup of it. Uh, In an Instagram post from March, Taylor said, quote, artists should own their work for so many reasons, but the most screamingly obvious one is that the artist is the only one who really knows that body of work. And Dave Taylor Swift is in a position of having so many loyal fans as well that they're very aware and in tune to what's going on here and have risen to the occasion to stream only her new recordings in lieu of the old ones. And as Raisa Bruner at Time Magazine puts it, quote, every musician is a business, a startup with limited equity to portion out to labels, publishers, and other stakeholders. As the business grows, the musician is left with a smaller and smaller piece of that pie. Greater equity was the central consideration of Swift's label change, along with a greater certainty that all who contributed to making the art itself would benefit from their work. Now, record labels here, Dave, are sort of in a weird position going forward, right? Uh, This is a precedent, and while it's not necessarily one that other artists can follow, you know, very few artists have the empire that Taylor Swift has— there is going to be sort of an industry adjustment. According to the Wall Street Journal, Universal has been setting up new agreements with its artists, which, quote, effectively double the amount of time that the contracts restrict an artist from re-recording their own work. So while the industry seems to be pretty much behind Swift publicly, that's kind of the popular move here. The industry behind the scenes is quietly working to prevent more of these sorts of moves in the future. You know, Swifties could tell you this much better than I, who is, is at best a very, very junior I mean, it's okay Swift. to admit it. I thought her last album was really good. I mean, I'll, I'll say it. Yeah, I'm not going to sit here and lie. I like her music. I'm just saying Swifties could tell you that a lot of her songs are about specific people. And so there was a lot of hubbub when her, she re-released Red recently because one of the songs is supposed to be about Jake Gyllenhaal. It's called All Too Well. And she released a like 10 or 12 minute music video, which is really crazy. It's like, it's really well done. Uh, that, that expands the song. And I always wonder when that stuff happens, like what's Jake Gyllenhaal really doing? Because you forget that these people are real. So it's like, it, you know he sees this stuff. Is he sitting at home like laughing about it? Is he crying? He's, he's doing something. He's not just being stoic, okay? He's having a response. He's I'm like, sure. it finally died down. I finally got away from all of it. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> here comes the re-recording, baby. Taylor's version. And it's way longer. And now he has it's to, three now times he has to fight for his life again. 
Jay, next we're going to talk about a non-secret, secret fast food menu item. But before we do that, I, I want to start here. I think I need to start here. Our generation, okay, so both of us are, are barreling towards our mid-30s. Our generation gets the reputation as the generation that doesn't really like chain restaurants all that much. And honestly, uh, I mean, that reputation is probably earned, in my opinion. I mean, Jay, when is the last time you chose to go somewhere like Applebee's instead of a cool local restaurant? Uh, It's been a long time. I can't even remember the last time. I used to live in an apartment uh, in college, and it was right next to an Applebee's. And there'd be some days that me and my roommate, we'd just kind of be sitting there, and we'd look at each other and be like, yeah, let's go to let's just go to Applebee's and we just go next door. But it did not happen often and it was sort of like a joke. Like we didn't go, you know, like trying to be serious. Yeah, I mean it's just our generation really especially as we've gotten older though. Like when you're in college, maybe you went and got some late night wings, but you're not going to Applebee's for a date on a Friday night. Our generation just goes to local restaurants or, or places like that. And so while I myself don't really go to many chain restaurants anymore, there's one chain restaurant I will always love and I will always defend Cracker Barrel. I mean, those biscuits, am I right? Oh, man. But every time I go, Jay, I think of a friend of mine named John. In college, John and I used to go to Cracker Barrel a ton on the weekends for breakfast. And Jay, here's the thing. John would always order a secret menu item. Okay, meaning an item that wasn't listed on any menu that Cracker Barrel had. And in fact, he quite often had to tell the staff what it was because it was a secret to them too. Instead of the Cracker Barrel staple, the beloved Grandpa's Country Fried Breakfast, Jay, he'd order Grandma's Country Fried Breakfast, which I think it it was a real thing, but I think all they did was basically add a cup of fruit. It really wasn't much of a change. It was sort of just like an experience. He like he just wanted to flex and be like, "Yeah, no, give me the Grandma's that you you heard me right." Maybe so, but some of the waitresses, especially the five star ones, who they have the stars on their their aprons, they knew about the grandma's breakfast. In fact, John actually did this a lot. Starbucks, Burger King, you name it. He was constantly ordering things that weren't on the actual menu. Well, Jay, all of that off-menu ordering, while probably somewhat rare, makes sense for some restaurants. Loyal fans of the establishment have built a love for a menu item, Maybe through the years they ordered it. Maybe the menu item dropped off the menu for whatever reason. And the restaurant's typically happy to provide it for the customer if it's possible. It's an item that most likely came from their own recipes. So it's not too crazy of an ask to throw on that extra cup of fruit and call it the grandmother's breakfast. But Jay, all of this is exactly why I'm so fascinated by something called the Mr. Beast Burger. Jay, have you ever heard of the Mr. Beast Burger? No, I have not. Here's the deal. The Mr. Beast Burger is a delivery-only fast food chain that has no physical locations and utilizes partnerships with third parties, contracting with existing restaurants and delivery services like Grubhub to get its food to you. In fact, Jay, Mr. Beast Burger is currently available at over a thousand locations across the United States, and it's most likely available in, or at least close to, the listening area of all of you listening to this episode. So, what is Mr. Beast Burger? Well, Mr. Beast Burger is the brainchild of YouTube sensation and internet personality Jimmy Donaldson, a.k.a. Mr. Beast. One of the highest paid YouTube stars of the last few years, Donaldson's fame is based on his antic-filled philanthropic viral videos. 
Donaldson's videos have featured him giving away cars, tech gear, and even large sums of money, and they all have millions of views. And while famous now, he definitely earned his viral video reputation and success. He spent months researching how to make a successful viral video, leading him to one of his first, him literally counting from one to 200,000 on a video that's been viewed about three and a half million times, and it's about 24 hours long, by the way. Tune in next week to hear us counting to 300,000. <laughs> we'll do you one better. But Jay, this fame led to December 2020, when Donaldson launched a Mr. Beast Burger video, explaining that he had had something in the works for quite a while, and he'd partnered with existing restaurants to form virtual kitchens that would carry his signature fast food items. It basically works like this. An existing restaurant partners with Donaldson's startup company called Virtual Dining Concepts, and boom, you're running. The company sends all of the materials needed to make the Mr. Beast Burger menu items to the existing restaurant, which, by the way, is very, very limited. We're talking like five or six items total on the Mr. Beast Burger menu. And then that company is off and running to sell those burgers. And while this sure seems unconventional, because, well, it is, it may just be the future of fast food. The pandemic changed the way we think about ordering food. For a while, anyway, some restaurants were only delivering their food with limited or no dine-in options. Mr. Beast Burger may just end up being a pioneer in the future of fast food. You order Mr. Beast Burger from its website or from the Grubhub app. They don't even tell you where it's coming from. And the next thing you know, it's delivered to your house. And Jay, if you're wondering how you can land a Mr. Beast Burger... The current and ever-expanding list of cities where the products are available can be found at MrBeastBurger.com. Uh, this reminds me of when I worked at Burger King in high school. Uh, there was uh, this burger called the Rodeo Burger, right? Which yes. uh, some people know about. That's the one John would order. It, uh, yeah, so it's not, on, it's not on the menu like behind you, like on the wall, and it never has been. But people would come in, they'd be like, I want a Rodeo Burger. And so the first time they did, I was like, what are you talking about? It's not on here. And somebody pointed on the cash register, and there was a tiny little button, I kid you not, in the corner, and it said rodeo on it. The burger itself is a burger with onion rings and barbecue sauce and, and like, pepper jack cheese or something like that. People went nuts for it, and only, like, 15 people in my hometown would, like, buy it, but those 15 people that was the only thing they would get. Like, it's like they felt like they were in a secret club or something. And, and Jay, you're probably wondering, is the Mr. Beast Burger burger good? I was about to ask that. I knew you were, and I lived to serve. I had one today in preparation of this episode. And, and obviously, a lot of factors go into this, but my review is, uh, eh. Oh, man. So all that lead up, all the secrecy, and all of the cloak and dagger, and it's yeah, two just stars for a man. Yeah, two stars. So, Dave, if there's one thing that I know about you, it's that you are really, really big on Christmas movies, and it's usually like a specific handful of Christmas movies, and one of the Christmas movies that's kind of in your wheelhouse is Home Alone. It is. It's a sacred list. It's hard to get on, but it's even more difficult to get off. So once you're on the Dave Traub Christmas list, I'm watching you every year. 
So nothing will ever top Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Jingle All the Way is always going to be number one. For you. Uh, But but, but both Home Alone to Ernest Saves Christmas. I mean, we could go on and on if you want to know them all. Well, since its release in the year 1990, uh, Home Alone has solidified itself as a key part of not only the Dave Traub Christmas experience, but just the general American Christmas experience. And the story of eight-year-old Kevin McAllister defending his home from would-be thieves by turning his house into a maze of booby traps on Christmas after being left behind by his family who was traveling to France for Christmas vacation has resonated with us all. But this movie does require quite a bit of suspension of belief. Uh, Some of these injuries that these men would have sustained, Dave, well, it's pretty gruesome stuff. So just for fun, let's take a doctor's perspective and analyze the injuries to Harry and Marv, specifically Dr. Ryan St. Clair of the Will Cornell Medical College, in an article by Lauren Hansen for The Week. Let's start with the BB gun to the forehead. BB guns have a velocity of about 350 feet per second, so even at a close range, a shot to the forehead may break skin, but it definitely wouldn't break the skull. But what about when Marv goes downstairs and pulls the iron down from the laundry chute after thinking he's pulling a light bulb string? Well, here's where things start to get a little more complicated. If we estimate the distance from the first floor to the basement at about 15 feet, and assuming the iron weighs about four pounds, which is about average for 1990, this iron would almost certainly cause bones around the eyes to break, resulting in a blowout fracture. Based on where the iron connected, and we know because the lines are on his face, the hit would have also most likely broken his neck. The fact that he can even walk is amazing, but then he steps on a nail, which appears to penetrate his entire foot, a scene that makes me personally cringe every time I watch it. Now, while this wouldn't necessarily kill him, Dave, it's worth noting that 314,000 people died in the world from tetanus in 1990. So Marv <laughs> probably didn't keep up on his vaccines, let's be honest, but he, so he probably would at least need to see a doctor. Now, have you seen that hair? <laughs> then on the other side of the house, Harry attempts to enter through a door by using a doorknob that Kevin has heated to the point that it is glowing hot and burns his hand. Now, if the doorknob is literally glowing red, that means it has been heated to at least 751 degrees Fahrenheit. And with the one to two second grip that Harry gives it, we're talking Harry's either going to lose his hand completely <laughs> or it's going to be seriously limited in how he can use it for the rest <laughs> of his life. Then on top of that, he comes in the door anyway and takes a blowtorch to the skull for a full seven uninterrupted seconds. And as Dr. St. Clair puts it, what was likely a simple second degree skin burn is now a full thickness burn likely to cause necrosis of the calvarium. And in simple terms, Harry's skull will rot and he will need a transplant to save it. (laughs) So somehow, some way, the robbers continue on their quest, only to take two what we would assume are full paint cans to the face, which from that high up on the stairs would certainly knock out their teeth and potentially lead to bleeding in the brain and strokes. Now, at this point, Dave, we can almost ignore the falling from the suspended line to the treehouse, the crowbar that Harry takes to the chest, the hard falls on ice, and the shovel both men take to the back of the head. Putting it all together, Dave, the only real conclusion here is that Harry and Marv are immortal beings, ones capable of nearly unlimited injuries that would kill most men several times over, but Merry Christmas nonetheless. It's incredible timing 
that you would do this segment right now because it was announced that as part of the promotion for the new Home Alone movie, so Disney Plus, for some reason, they just can't help themselves. They're releasing a new Home Alone movie. It doesn't have Kevin McAllister. It's called Home Sweet Home Alone. It's going to be on Disney Plus. As part of the promotion for that, the original Home Alone house is being offered up as a one-night stay on Airbnb. So it's not a contest. You don't really necessarily win anything other than the right to rent it. But it's a one-night stay. It's only $25 for this one night. And your host is a guy named Devin Ratry. Yes, Buzz, Kevin's <laughs> older brother. So he hosts you at this house. Rolling Stone reports that the one-night stay will come equipped with lights, a Christmas tree, Guests being treated to a dinner of pizza and microwavable mac and cheese (laughs) with activities including booby traps, a meet and greet with a tarantula, like Kevin's in the movie, and a screening, of course, of Home Sweet Home Alone. You also get to take home a Lego Home Alone set. What a deal. This is amazing. Do you think like around dinner time when you're eating all that pizza, you could slip him a, a 20 or something to get him to say, if you want some more, I can barf it up for you. I, I think if they're going to this link, I think he'd <laughs> just do it. He'd probably plan to do it. <laughs> and that is it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out. We're on social. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, CommuteThePodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jay Sisson, I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week.